Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be starting in verse 9 today. Um, let's go ahead and pray. God, you are worthy of our attention, of our worship, and of our following, simply for being who you are. I pray, God, that you would in, illumine our minds today to behold what you have in your word, and not just in, uh, in the one spot, but let us let us be led to a right understanding that leads to right action. Because if we don't act rightly, then we tend to understand wrongly. So guide us by your spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so last week, we went through a couple Old Testament passages, and we tried to gain a definition of what, what the Sabbath is. Uh, we discussed it as being a day of rest commanded by God or instituted by God for the benefit of man. Um, and uh, we have to remember that, again, it was important enough for God to make it a commandment. It wasn't one of a list of suggestions. It was a direct command from the Lord to take a Sabbath. It's the fourth commandment of ten. So it composes one-tenth of the basis of the law. Uh, we also tried, uh, or we also looked at the, the uh, first eight verses of Matthew 12 and read how the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus in an overly legalistic argument. And then we noted several rebukes um, that Jesus gave the Pharisees that they had actually misunderstood the Sabbath. And in their oral law, in their teaching, uh, they, they didn't get it right. They had, they had deviated from the actual intent of the Sabbath. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that Jesus had said um, is found in verse 7 of Matthew 12. And Jesus says, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Today we're actually going to see that rebuke come to life, where the Pharisees are going to completely miss it again. Uh, in fact, they're, they're going to... Their hard-heartedness is going to cause them to uh, desire sacrifice and not mercy. They're going to get it backwards. So let's, um, let's go ahead and, and, and read uh, our verses for today and kind of see that one rebuke uh, happen. Now, by the way, it's possible, I'm sorry, before I read, it's possible that these verses happened on the same day. It could be a time later. It could be that Matthew is just incorporating a couple, uh, a couple thematic um, things, because this whole chapter is ripe with the Pharisees getting really ticked off at Jesus. So it's possible that it happened the same day. It's also possible that it didn't. Um, regardless, Jesus said this sentence, uh, you know, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and then the Pharisees missed it. So keep that in mind. Let's go ahead and read. So Matthew 12, 9 through 14. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, which one of you if, uh, who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. 
This is the word of the Lord. Um, so just, just notice in verse 10, so uh, how, how the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus again. Um, in this case, they didn't use one of their oral traditions, but they were trying to trap Jesus by pointing out this man with a withered hand. This man is there. He's in the synagogue. He's, he's worshiping on the Sabbath, doing exactly what he's supposed to. Um, if we were to read the same account in Luke 14, uh, the, the, the primary difference is that Jesus is the one asking the question. Um, and so some people have said that Matthew 12 and Luke 14 are inconsistent, uh, that, that here the Pharisees are asking and there Jesus is asking, which one is right? Well, per usual, I'm just going to assume both are right. I'm going to assume that the Pharisees ask Jesus first and then Jesus asks him the question right back. Yeah, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because he's there. The Pharisees are not the only ones there. The experts in the law, the lawyers, the scribes are there. They should know the answer to the question, shouldn't they? Instead of asking the teacher who's come, the, the traveling rabbi, they should be the ones answering the questions themselves. There should be other people going, now, hold on, wait. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Doctors work on the Sabbath. Pharisees work on the Sabbath. So is it lawful to do it? So my, my assumption in this situation is that the Pharisees ask Jesus, and then Jesus goes, you tell me, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So uh, the, 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 problem, the problem that we're encountering here is that this seems really basic. And frankly, these verses make me mad. They make me really angry. Uh, not, not that they're trying to trap Jesus, but that they would grab somebody from the crowd. They would point to a man with a withered hand, or as Luke 14 says, with dropsy. Luke actually defines the illness. He is a doctor, uh, meaning that his hand was swollen. He would have had massive edema, and maybe, maybe it, the swelling had gone down, but the skin was loose. And they would point someone out and say, hey, Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? How callous, how hard-hearted, how cruel does a person have to be to point to the person in the synagogue who is already suffering enough and assuming Jesus is going to maybe answer on their side, no, it's not lawful. You, you continue suffering. How horrible is it to point to a man who's suffering and use him as an example to try and prove a teacher wrong? Hypocrites have a tendency to like to make the simple complex. They have a tendency to, uh, to, to decide what suits their timeline instead of what suits the commands of God. And oftentimes, they, they will gather a village to improve their own home, but they will never show up when another person is in need. Here's a man who is in need, who's suffering. And instead of trying to help him, trying to care for him, the only time this man is mentioned in Scripture is when the Pharisees are trying to use him as an example. 
So when they asked this question of Jesus, when the Pharisees asked the question of Jesus, or when Jesus asked them the question, it's pretty simple. Yeah, you should help a person on the Sabbath. You should do this work that's going to aid them. But for whatever reason, it's not simple to them. They've overcomplicated it in their own rules and regulations. And, and, and what's interesting here is that they seem to assume Jesus is able to do this. They seem to assume that Jesus is able to heal him. Hey, Jesus, is it lawful to do, for you to do that miraculous thing you keep doing? Is it lawful to do that on the Sabbath? Hmm? Put their nose in the air. They, they seem to have figured that Jesus was capable of doing it, um, but, they, but, but they use him. They, it, just, it just makes me mad, right? Uh, it would be like someone just trying to, to disprove me, right, as a pastor, and saying, coming up to me and saying, hey, you know what, pastor, I know you know computers, and my hard drive is dead on this computer. I'd really like to swap it out. Um, so would you be able to do it? And I say, yeah, yeah, I, I could do that. And then, is it lawful to do that on the Sabbath? Isn't that supposed to be your day of rest, pastor? Aren't you supposed to be better than that? Don't you know the word of God trying to throw it at me? Yes, as a matter of fact, it would be both possible and, and, and lawful for me to swap out a hard drive on the Sabbath, even on my day off. Somebody calls me on my day off and says, yeah, my computer caught fire. Probably not much I can do for you at that point. But, you know, like somebody panicking, can you come help me? <sighs> yes. Yes, I can. You know why? Because honestly, uh, a shepherd doesn't just tend to his sheep. He tends to the sheep's barn and fence. He waters the grass that the, sheep's eat, or she that the sheep eat. If it allowed me to spend time with a person, to care for a person, it would not only be lawful, it would be good. It would not be worthless for me to care for somebody in a way that I'm able to care for them, even on the Sabbath. Even on a day where I'm studying. You know, Fridays tend to be my day where I try and compile a sermon text and, and do a lot of my more deep exegesis. And if somebody called me on Friday and they said, hey, uh, you know, so-and-so's in the hospital and they want to see you. You know what I'm going to do? Drop my sermon prep and show up. If my sermon comes up unorderly, disorderly, you know, God's providence. <laughs> I get to sound like a madman on Sunday in God's providence. It's not worthless to do good on a Sabbath. The verses 11 to 12 are, are Jesus' very clever response to them. Um, so he, verse 11, he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now that sounds like a good caring act, lifting your sheep out of the Sabbath. But at the time, there was kind of a debate going on between these two schools of thought. Uh, the, 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 the Qumranites, uh, the, the caves of Qumran had a special sect of Pharisees. Um, uh, some, other, some other caves had a special sect of Pharisees called the Essenes. Um, and the Qumranites and the Essenes were arguing, and it was influencing a lot of Pharisaical tradition at the time uh, about whether or not you could rescue an animal on the Sabbath. And it was pretty widely accepted that the Qumranites were extreme. And uh, frankly, of course you can rescue an animal on a Sabbath. Sheep are dumb. 
They go on there eating their grass and then whoop, they fell into a pit. Good job, sheep. Gotta lift it out. But again, the Kumranites said, no, you can't. That's work. Sabbath is a day of rest and you are working. It's simple as that. So therefore you cannot do it. But the Essenes and the, 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 the schools of, of Gamaliel and the other, the other major Pharisees had all decided, yes, you can rescue a sheep that falls in a pit, an animal that falls in a pit, but if a man falls in a pit, that is work. That is dumb. So, um, again, the Kumranites solved it by making it even more lazy, right? You can't rescue anything. It falls in a pit, can't rescue it. It's work. Sabbath. It's got to wait 12 hours. It's got to wait till the sun goes down. Once the sun goes down, then you can rescue it. Again, dumb. So Jesus points to their own, their own oral tradition, what is common among Pharisees at the time, and, and says really plainly, which one of you, if you had a sheep who falls in a pit, would not pull it out? And frankly, this is a rebuke to the Pharisees. They would all think, well, yeah, I would. Of course I would. It's, I'm, I'm allowed to. It's lawful to do it. But then comes verse 12 where Jesus really drops the bomb of how much more value is a man than a sheep. Again, this is where I get mad. How can they not see the value of a man? Sheep bleat. We had a baby woodpecker that was in a tree over here and the baby woodpecker didn't stop. It would peep all night, every night just constantly. And mother would just be constantly flying in and feeding the woodpecker. And, 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 uh, and here, here I would be driven mad. I'd take the dog out and I would hear the peeping. I'd go inside and I'd hear the peeping. Not hear the peeping, but you know, hear the peeping. My brain is still, it has it on repeat over and over again. And I, I almost, uh, like, I, I was willing to put up with it and, um, and deal with it. But then what happens when I go somewhere and somebody's child is screaming? Am I being hypocritical? If, I, if I'm sitting there and I want to turn to the mom and say, you know what, shut your child up. That's hypocrisy. I should be more willing to bear with the crying child than I am with the woodpecker, which the woodpecker is now gone. I don't know if it was eaten or flew off, but one of the two happened. Anyway, so, so the, 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 the woodpecker is not making noise anymore, and I'm praising God for it. But I should also be willing to deal with somebody's crying child. Of how much more value is a child than a woodpecker? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it's here that we find our first application to avoid ourselves becoming like the Pharisees. Not only is it permissible to do good on a day of worship and rest, but it actually should also be expected of us. If we have a day of worship, I, I hate to use this example, but let's say we're in here, we're, we're, we're having sermon, and all of a sudden we start hearing screaming out in the parking lot. Would we be like, oh man, I wish they would shut up we're having church. Maybe, maybe open that door and open the window and shout out, we're having church here. Would we do that? 
No, hopefully all of us would stop what we're doing, myself included, and run out there. What if it was a mother who just happened to be walking through the parking lot with her kids and a kid got struck by a car and she's screaming and she's in panic. She's not thinking dial 911. She's just absolutely breaking down. We should be there around her, gathering around her, trying to get the kid out of the road so it doesn't get struck again. Or maybe that's not what's wise and just standing in the middle of the road so no more cars can come in. It is not only permissible to do good on the Sabbath, it is expected to do good on the Sabbath. But a Pharisee, a Pharisee would be a person that'd be like, no, 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 don't worry. I'm sure, I'm sure that's okay out there. Let's go ahead and continue in worship of God as if there's some sort of a dividing line between doing merciful acts and worshiping God. We who are saved should want to spit at the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees here. We should be more willing to race out and help someone whom we do not know who needs help than to sit here in hard-hearted worship. And this situation, by the way, that I just described, I, I, I rephrased it, but from the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. And where most people are familiar with this, but just to recap, a man is beaten and robbed, lying on the side of the road, and both a priest and a Levite, two types of men who should be expected to bring gospel aid to this injured man, not only walk past him, but, but, but walk on the other side of the road from him. Now, the reason that they did that, they had tons of legal reasons, tons. A Levite and a priest were not, were not allowed to touch dead things. That's in the law. This man is dying. Well, what, what, what if he dies when I'm trying to help him? Then I've transgressed the law. I've touched a dead thing. I'm unclean. I have to go through rites of purification. They had the reason to do it, but they should have actually instead had the reason to be merciful and run to his aid instead of being afraid of transgressing something that's not really a law. It is, it is, it is a law, but there's ways to clean yourself. So that's the way of the hypocritical Pharisee. Not just pass by the injured man, see if he's okay, but pass by on the other side of the road to avoid the person's suffering, to not go into their life, to not go into the problem and try and help it. So, there, so back to our text as an example, uh, some in church history have actually said that this man with dropsy, the man with the withered hand, had a name, started with a C, doesn't really matter. They've, they've said that he was a brick maker by trade and so he was going up to Jesus and asking for help. Um, but that's conjecture. You're not going to find it anywhere in the Bible. If you ever hear the story of Jesus and the brickmaker, it's made up. It's not in Scripture. But what's true and what we know of is that the synagogue is aware of this man. The, the Pharisees, they're like, hey, Jesus, is it, okay, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're, 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 they know this guy. This guy shows up. He is constantly in, in pain, in anguish, in suffering, and yet nobody gives a rip except to point him out. 
and try and trap Jesus. Ultimately, by using him as an example, the Pharisees are mocking him. And that's what enrages me. Gosh, if there was somebody coming in week after week with pain and suffering, you know what we should do? We should all be the, person, the people gathering around that person saying, all right, you know, I, I know you've got this pain and suffering. How can we help you? And chances are, as I've learned, people will say, I don't really know. But at least answering it, at least addressing it, at least coming alongside the person is infinitely better than using him as an example to mock. How did Jesus put up with these people? <laughs> if I were in this situation, I would have been like, you're under wrath, you're under wrath. See that lightning, it's coming, it gotcha. If I were Jesus in this situation, I would be having the fire from heaven fall and be like, yeah, you wanna see your wickedness? Here's what it feels like, boom. But that actually shows my sin more than it shows anything else. Because, because my sin is ultimately not wanting the hard-hearted to repent, but to fall under God's just condemnation. I would rather see the rich man who's raised up in power fall than to watch them come to repentance. That is my own sin. And if that is your sin, then you need to repent. And I hate to say it this way, but be more like Jesus and rebuke with gentleness and with correction. Church, we should not let our own frustrations like mine at the Pharisees lead us into sin ourselves. May we not be malicious toward the self-righteous, but plead for their reconciliation in prayer and rebuke them gently. And that is where I take a second application, is from watching how Jesus answers them instead of killing them. And also notice how Jesus heals the guy. He just walks right through the argument, <laughs> straight through it, and heals the dude. Right? So again, they seem to presuppose that he's able to do this. Hey, Jesus, is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he goes, yeah, it is. And heals the guy. Stretch out your hand. Guy stretches out his hand and it's healed just like the other. In this sense, the hypocrites, the Pharisees, are not even denying Jesus' ability. And that's the same that it is now. Oftentimes, the most pharisaical individuals you'll meet are those who claim to believe in God. They, they claim to believe in God's power. They'll even declare it from the housetops. But what makes them hypocrites is although they, believe, they may say they believe in God's power, they don't live in light of it. A right understanding should lead to right action. But the Pharisees prove that it doesn't always. Notice also that Jesus changes the wording. Did you catch that? Did you catch that when we read it at the beginning? What's the Pharisees' question? Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And what does Jesus respond with? It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's important to note. 
When we talk about this instance of healing and this instance with the Pharisees, it's important to note note that. Not just that the Pharisees were trying to accuse him, right? Um, But that Jesus changed the wording. Why? Why? Why did he change the wording? Why did he say it's lawful to do good instead of lawful to heal? Is Is it a scribal error? Did somebody record this wrong? Was Matthew wrong? No. No, it's because the Pharisees were ultimately trying to justify themselves. When they look at at Jesus and they ask that very pointed question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What they really mean is, is it lawful to work and do good on the Sabbath? Jesus is actually tearing down the Pharisees here. He's he's going straight for the heart by rebuking them for what they need to hear, not just, just, again, like I said, just fire of God, just burn them all down. Their love is cold, and Christ is giving an offer of revival for it. Last week, I mentioned Hosea 6. And I said that this is a playing out of, of that statement, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that's in Hosea 6. It's actually in Hosea 6, 6. Uh, but just, I, I want to paint the picture of the Pharisees here. Because the Pharisees have come to a point of, of, of pharisaical, self-justified unrighteousness that, that is just astonishing in light of Hosea 6. And, and, and it's because Hosea, Hosea is set up kind of as a legal declaration. It's kind of a back and forth. God tells this prophet Hosea to marry a harlot. And Hosea goes, okay, <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> and and, and the, his wife uh, commits adultery against him. And God uses this as an example of this is what Israel and Judah are doing. This is what Ephraim and Judah are doing. And so if you, if you were to pick up this Old Testament prophet centuries before the Pharisees even became a thing, the description of the Pharisees is uncanny, just absolutely uncanny. You, you, get, to, uh, you get to Hosea 4 where, where God is issuing these, these uh, accusations, these legal accusations against Israel and Judah. And... And it's just, it's just crazy. Um, it's a list of all the sins. And then you get to Hosea 5, and God is announcing that punishment is coming. But punishment is actually coming for, for the purpose of discipline. It's, it's, it's trying to turn them around. God is bringing these wicked things on them. And actually, they start to celebrate their own wickedness. Because frankly, that's what happens. When wickedness is brought to light, people try to justify it because they're self-justifying unrighteous people. And, and, and so then comes um, chapter 6. And chapter 6, I'm, I'm going to read all of 6 and part of 7 because it makes sense. Chapter 6 is where their wickedness actually takes a, a, a drastic turn for the worst. Where they have fake repentance. Where they look like they are repenting, but God sees. God sees and knows what's actually wrong. So let's. Let, I'm just going to read. I, I want you to. I want you to hear. This, this starts out with um, with Israel and Judah 
speaking that says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Sounds good. Sounds good, right? Turning to God. God's going to restore us. Don't worry. And then God replies, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Ephraim, by the way, is another way of referring to Israel. Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth and my judgment goes forth as the light for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant there. They dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood as robbers lie in wait for a man. So the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's whoredom is there. Israel is defiled. For you also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed when I restore the fortunes of my people. When I would heal Israel... The iniquity of Ephraim is revealed, and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in, and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them. They are before my face. So let's just recount what I just read. They say aloud that they want to repent. They want to turn to God. God's going to restore us. It's going to be great. As the waters fall in spring, so shall God's, re God's restoration be. But the problem is, it's fake. Looks good on the outside, but God's not looking on the outside. He's looking at the heart. They are trying to justify themselves with their own words of goodness. They are trying to pump up their own righteousness that they think they have. But they are ultimately displaying their own hard-heartedness and lack of repentance. Their deeds surround them. They are before God's face. So here we have the Pharisees in Matthew 12. We have the Pharisees who supposedly know God. They lead worship. They read the, 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 the scrolls before the people every week. They know what it says, but they don't know God. They, they are missing the whole point. If they knew God, they wouldn't be standing there saying, is it, is it, a, is it, a, uh, is it okay if you heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? They wouldn't be asking these questions because they would know the answer. Of course it's okay for God to work on the Sabbath. But they're missing it. The Pharisees spoke in terms that sounded godly at the time. Is it lawful? Do you not know? Their minds were enriched with theology, 
but in all their theology, they missed God. Theology is a good thing as long as it's adding to your worship. Theology is a great thing as long as it, it, it makes your, your, your love of the Lord burn brighter. But if, if theology is stripping from somebody their, their, their delight in God, then their wickedness is on display. The Pharisees are self-service, self-justifying, unrighteous sinners, and they miss it. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You know how I know? Because I read Hosea 6.6. God prefers steadfast love. Uh, the, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, just uses the word mercy instead of steadfast love. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Your empty burnt offerings mean nothing to him. A lack of love for the Lord leads to spiteful judgment from him. It is not good, even wicked, to pretend to know God and not do what God requires. Finally, I want you to notice verse 14, which I'm not, I'm not skipping over verse 14. It's, it's the culmination of all my rage in verse 14. Because I look at this and I want to feel self-justified. I want to feel like I would never do that. So let's read verse 14 again. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him. How to destroy him. Fools, blasphemers, numbskulls, whatever, whatever word I want to use, this, this shows what, what a hypocrite does. When confronted, the hypocrite decides to conspire against whoever confronted them. They seek to, they start to plot behind closed doors how to destroy Jesus. Pharisees like to feel superior, but they hate confrontation. They, Pharisees like to plot on how to destroy God's people. They, 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 like, they like to exalt themselves. And I think that's their real problem with Jesus, honestly, is Jesus is exalting God. Right? Jesus is exalting God the Father, doing what's actually required, and they're like, you don't know more than us. <laughs> we'll take you down. We'll show you how much we know. And of course, that happens, sort of. It, they're, they're never right. They just arrest him and start shouting charges at him until something sticks. And Jesus, still being right, answers the question truthfully, and they go, there we go, there we go. This man makes himself out to be God. But he was. <laughs> he was God. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees, in their own sense of, of, of self-exalting superiority, missed it the whole time. Do not be like the Pharisees, church. God desires us to, to, to have mercy, not to wickedly plot the destruction of others. God requires us to know him so well 
that we, like Jesus here, are gracious and kind to those who would otherwise desire to kill us. He looks at people who are wrong. He tells them that they are wrong, but he doesn't do it to make them feel like less of a person, but to just simply bring them to the truth. So the way that you respond to your opponents, is it like the Pharisees where you're plotting to destroy them, or is it like Christ who is willing to, 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 to reconcile them to the truth? We know that some Pharisees actually went after Jesus. We know this by Nicodemus, John 3. We know this at Jesus' crucifixion. We know this because of Paul. Some Pharisees repented. Even though they had all their training, they repented. Why? Because they recognized that they were sinners. And they recognized that Jesus was God, and they recognized that Jesus was right. Most of the apostles died at the hand of people who were self-righteous and self-exalting. But they died. They died having preached the gospel to them, having prayed for them, having loved them, having cared for them. Right understanding leads to right practice. But if you have wrong practice, you should assume that your understanding is wrong as well. Do not pray for the destruction of those who come against you, but instead work for their benefit and their repentance. I'm still in awe of Jesus. I, I, I'm still, I, I, I get mad reading these verses. I wasn't even there, man. <laughs> and I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm angry that they would ask that question. I'm angry that they would, re they would respond to Jesus' kind rebuke and, and try to destroy him. And this sits as a linchpin, as kind of a, kind of a turning point in this, in, in this gospel story of how the Pharisees are no more, no more treating Jesus like a teacher and asking him questions, but trying to trap him. The rest of the book shows that. And I have to deal with my own frustration at that, knowing that there are Pharisees today, and I, I should not labor for their destruction, but labor for their repentance. So should you. Let's pray. Lord, your response to the Pharisees was perfect. Knowing that, that, that they were inconsistent, that they were hypocritical, but also working for them to see their own hypocrisy, their own, their own anger at, at, that should have been directed at themselves and their own sin, uh, and yet it was directed at you. And you kindly healed this man. You showed love and mercy and tenderness to him, but you also showed love and mercy and tenderness to the, to the Pharisees, despite the fact that they were going to now seek to destroy you. Lord, let us be the same. Let us, let us recognize our own sinfulness, our own problems, our own faults. Let us, let us see where we have sinned against you and sinned against others and thereby repent, confessing those sins to you as sin, not watering it down. 
God, give us right understand of your un, unimpeachable mercy. And let us live in accord with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Is it lawful to heal or do good on the Sabbath? Yes. Yes, it is. There is never a time where God does not expect us to love our neighbor as ourselves. So go and do that. Do what is right to his glory and his glory alone. So go in peace, saints.